0: Which um, is that mistake, I know, it's three, chapter 3 But I've got a question for you, before we look at this um, And I want you to be honest You're amongst friends, what's said here doesn't go any further right? Would you ever get to part of the Bible And you think, I'll just skip this passage Yeah, because it, it's full of lists of names You get it in Genesis, you get it in Numbers You've got all these armies and tribes get it in Chronicles, you get it in Ezra, in Matthew's Gospel you get it again and we've got one in the passage this morning, it's called a genealogy, a list of names and I hope you're honest in your answer, so this might be the first time you've ever read this passage, right? So we're in Luke chapter 3 and I want to just read, I'm just going to read the first two, uh, verses 21 and 22 to start with. So it's chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. John the Baptist we thought about last week. He had been um, preaching for about six months. He was going around the, the country, around, up and down Jordan River, and he was preaching a, a message of repentance and confession of sin. He was warning people that the judgment was going to come and they had to repent of the sins before it was too late. And he was then baptizing them in the river Jordan. In Judaism, in the Old Testament, baptism wasn't something that we read about much. We you get other things like hand washing and feet washing and ceremonial cleansing, but this was unusual, and therefore, people—that's why they called him John the Baptist, because he was the man who baptised. He differentiated from other people called John. He was the one who baptised people. And then Jesus appears from Galilee and is baptised. It tells us. Now that must have been quite a strange thing for John to do, and for people to witness, because the message he's preaching is one of repentance and confession of sin. And we know that the Lord Jesus himself is spotless, pure, sinless, he had no sin, he had nothing to confess, and there's no repentance required. So it would have been strange for John to do this, and if you read in Matthew, he actually Um, resisted initially but there is a a good reason why Jesus was baptised and what was that reason? We don't get much in Luke but I want us to look back at Matthew chapter 3 and in verse um, 13 it says then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. It was proper to do it at this time, to fulfil all righteousness. What does that mean? What righteousness is Jesus fulfilling? Well, first of all, there was the obedience of Jesus in being baptised. He was fulfilling righteousness in his obedience. And the life of Jesus is full of obedience. What a tremendous um, example for us, isn't it? To look at the life of Jesus and how he obeyed his Father. He never went against his Father's wishes. He fulfilled his plans to perfection. And he did this by being baptized. He fulfilled righteousness by being baptized. He also fulfilled righteousness by identifying with those who are sinners unrighteousness was going to have to be dealt with and jesus came to do that he came knowing that he was going to be going to the cross and on the cross he would die and on the cross he would take the sins of everyone and the unrighteousness of everyone and he would bring righteousness into people's lives we can now Admit to being clothed in righteousness Because of what the Lord Jesus has done He fulfilled righteousness at that time He identified on the cross With those who were sinners And he identifies here in baptism With those who are repenting and sinners He's saying that I am a man I am spotless, I am pure, I am clean But I am identifying just as I will on the cross To fulfill righteousness Righteousness what happens at this baptism? Well, it's, it's actually an amazing. If you could picture yourself being there, it's an amazing sight. Um, Luke actually doesn't go into great detail, but he's, there's enough there for us to get excited about what happens. Because the first thing that happens is that Jesus was praying. Nothing is a wonderful example of the communion that the Lord Jesus had with His Father. That at this point in time, He is praying. And as he was praying, it says, Heaven was opened. Now, we don't know really what that means, but it, it's symbolic, isn't it, of something amazing is going to happen. It's the start of the ministry of Jesus. It's the start of those three years that will lead to the cross. And heaven is opened. And I don't know what people thought. I don't know what it would, as I say, what it would look like visually. But it would I think it would be dramatic. And it says, not only was heaven opened, but it then says that the Holy Spirit descended on him, in bodily form like a dove. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven, not in a dramatic way as we find at Pentecost, but in a very quiet way, like a quiet dove landing on Jesus. The Holy Spirit landing on Jesus. And we thought on, on Thursday night about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit being with Jesus. And we think about later on. We uh, were reading in, in John fourteen morning and later on in that chapter we find that Jesus promises to his disciples that he'll give them another comforter, the Holy Spirit was going to come and we find at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit does come this time it comes in tongues of flame in a more dramatic way the Holy Spirit comes and every Christian, everyone who believes and is a Christian, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit living in them And that's a tremendous truth for us, isn't it? To know that the Holy Spirit is living in us. I come across some Christians who constantly pray for the Holy Spirit to come in. And I think I know what they mean. I think they were expecting something dramatic to come into their lives. But we don't need to pray for the Holy Spirit to enter our lives. The Holy Spirit is in our lives. And he's sealed. He cannot be taken away. And that's something we need to hang on to. This Holy Spirit came down on Jesus like a dove. If you look at Isaiah chapter 11, because this is fulfilling quite an important prophecy. And bear in mind that those who were watching were witnessing this. It would have meant something to them. 11, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge of fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So this was a fulfillment of that prophecy that the Holy Spirit would descend onto the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And people witnessing it may remember what they had read from Isaiah, what they had heard from Isaiah. And then we find to complete this situation at this baptism, that the Father Himself speaks. And the Father says, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. What a wonderful, total picture of the Lord Jesus being obedient in going to baptism, the heavens opening, the Spirit coming down, and the Father speaking and acknowledging that this is his son. So there's no doubt, amongst those who are listening, that Jesus was the son of God. So the Holy Spirit descending, was fulfilling a prophecy, and now the Father is confirming it by saying that he is my beloved son. And he says, in whom I am well pleased. At this point in time, Jesus is about 30, so we can see that is it that of time up to this point that that God the Father is pleased with him that he had lived a perfect life in those 30 years and he was acknowledging him as his son in whom he is well pleased what a wonderful picture for us to take away of this baptism scene and the dramatic things that are happening which all came together to confirm that Jesus is son of God there's no doubt about it and he's about to start his work of ministry. Very conscious that we only meet perhaps once or twice a week, and you know when you there's so much more to life, isn't there? There's so much else going on. There's seven days in a week. That's just for those who didn't realise that. Yeah. And we meet once or perhaps twice for an hour or so each time. And there's so much else going on in our lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's with the family, whatever it might be. And more time is spent away from fellow Christians than with them. More time is spent from, away from reading the Bible and reading the Bible. So I think it's so important that we can take what we can from these times that we have together into the week ahead and have those things with us. To remind us of the truths that we need to constantly hold up Because we're all guilty of getting wrapped up in other things. And we get way, way, way laid. And how important it is for us just to try and take something from these Sunday mornings and the Thursday evenings to help us. We're going to move on to the genealogy of Jesus, which is from verse 23 to He goes up to verse 38 the end of the chapter. And I'll read verse 23 to start with. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Age 30, someone asked us on a Monday, why was it age 30 when Jesus started to minister? Um, It was quite common in those days for people to have a trade or a profession and to spend the early years up to age 30 uh, learning that trade before they actually practice it. A good example would be the, the Levi priests who was age 30 before they started to practice as a priest. So it was not uncommon for that period of training, that period of development. And that's what Jesus would have gone through, a period of development before he started to do the work of his ministry. people would know Jesus as being the son of Mary and Joseph the people who lived in Galilee would know that because they would see him growing up as a boy and becoming a, a his, helping his father as a carpenter and they would know him as the son of Mary and Joseph but this genealogy it talks about he was a son so it was thought or supposedly of Joseph. But well, we know that Jesus wasn't the biological son of Joseph. He's the son of God. And the genealogy that Luke would be using, the records that he would be using to take this information, would be from the Greek and Roman records. They didn't have high uh, hold women in high esteem. So women are not mentioned in this genealogy. So when it comes to the genealogy of Jesus, that's recorded in this particular chapter, they were looking at Joseph. But it makes a point, so it was thought, because they knew he wasn't the biological father of Jesus. They also would know, by saying he's the son of Heli, that this is actually the line of Mary, not of Joseph. Joseph's father was Jacob, Mary's father was Heli. So Mary is not mentioned, but it's recorded for legal terms in this way, and that's why it's mentioned like that. So we have in Matthew a genealogy which looks very much at the kingship of the Lord Jesus, tracing his um, background that way, and in this we have a more spiritual and the the human side of the Lord Jesus and his record in this genealogy. <coughs> if we look to verse twenty-four, and these are the verses you probably haven't read before, so let's bear with it. I'm only kidding by you, I know you've read them. So it was thought Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of nagai the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel. There's a name you'll recognize. Zerubbabel was the man who led the Jews back from captivity to Jerusalem and started to build the temple and then later on uh, Nehemiah builds the wall and just as a good prompt there Thursday night we'll look at that building the wall with Nehemiah as we continue that study Zerubb- Zerubbabel is a, a well known character the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi the son of Kosum the son of Elmadam, the son of Err the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon. I'll stop there for a moment. Recognize few, a few of those names towards the end, right? I have to say that the pronunciation has so far been excellent. Let's <laughs> say it myself. When you get to Boaz or Booz, the son of Salmon, that's where you get the phrase to drink like a fish. <laughs> that's also a joke, by the way. But we have here names we'll recognize son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse. If you look in Matthew, you'll find it talking about the son of David as being Solomon, following the kingly line. Here we have another of David's sons, Nathan, and he is the one that is used in this particular genealogy to show the, the, the Jesus the the human side of Jesus. And also we have the, um, the kingly side and we have the legal side, and it's all brought together in these two different genealogies. The son of Aminadab, I made a mistake, (laughs) Aminadab, how does that go? (laughs) That'll do. The son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, again we're recognising names here, the son of Abraham. Now, Again, compare with Matthew, it would stop there. Matthew does it in reverse order. Matthew starts with Abraham and works towards Joseph and Jesus. In Luke, it starts with Jesus and works towards, not stopping Abraham, but going on towards Adam. And we'll touch on that again in a moment. So Abraham would be the beginning of the genealogy in Matthew. The son of Terah, the son of Neor, the son of Serah, the son of Rue, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber... The son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lemek, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So that's a genealogy. What can we take away from this genealogy, which might help us in our Week ahead and the weeks ahead. The first thing I want to say is that a reminder that our faith is rooted in history. It's absolutely established there. I don't know if any of you have done a family tree. Um, My eldest son is doing a family tree. Um, It goes back to 1629. Uh, I know you're probably thinking I've got a fair bit of royalty in my blood um, by the way I speak and the way I hold myself. Going back to 1629, we got back to a, a man called, what's maybe name again, um, Lancelot Baxter. Now, there's a name to conjure with, Lancelot. That was a great name to have, wasn't it? The other great fame about the background is that my great-great-grandmother was put in prison for a week for stealing bread. Um, my father was, actually, if my father was alive, it would be his birthday today, Right? My father was born in a little town in Cumbria called Wickton, um, and when he, my son went through his, the family tree, he found that they never moved out of Cumbria. Right, so going back to 1629, they always lived in that small area around Wicton and they were doing um, blacksmith jobs and working on the land. 1953, my father decided that we needed to be educated to so move to Edinburgh, and we're brought up in Ed- Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> but the family tree, it shows me that my I have roots in history. It might not be particularly good roots with some of them, but I have roots in history. And this genealogy shows us, and reminds us, that we have a faith, not based on imagination, not based on some fairy tale that's made up, but based on truth, based on facts that are based in history. And we can rely on that. And this genealogy does that for us. It goes back over the times of the Old Testament, all the people connected, going back to Adam. And we can live our faith is based on history. And since that time, we have other examples of people who have um, followed the Lord Jesus, who have in Hebrews a list of people who have lived by faith and how they're all named. Um, since then, there are many people over the years who have lived for the Lord Jesus. Um, that we might be related to we might know but we cannot all relate to maybe people who have very recently uh, lived and we've looked up to them as an example for, of the Christian life and the Christian walk mm-hmm. and we follow them so we have a whole history of uh, people who have followed the Lord Jesus and we're part of that genealogy, we're part of that group and we have our faith rooted in history and that's a tremendous thing for us to lay hold of second thing to take away is that God is sovereign what God chooses to do he chooses to do if he chooses to do something it might not seem logical to us who he chooses, if you look through this genealogy there are people there that he's chosen that we would not have chosen and I have to say that there are people here including myself who say, well why has he chosen me God is a sovereign God who chooses us because he chooses us. Because it's his will, he just decides to choose us. And we need to learn from that. Not to fight God's will, because some days we wrestle with God's will and say, why is this happening? But to accept it and embrace it and lay hold of it and say, that is God's will. That is what I am going to trust. Because God is sovereign and whatever happens in my life, God will see me through that is so important for us to lay hold of and to stop fighting and saying well I want it to be a different way I want this to happen and not that God is sovereign and he's sovereign in our lives but also we can take great comfort from that because as things happen around us as difficulties arise we were talking about this, Jim was talking this morning about the, the Lord with the disciples how he spoke to them, how he comforted them and they were going through difficult times and we can go through difficult times And God would say, I am sovereign in your life. You can take great comfort in that. Because no matter what happens to you, I am with you. I will always be with you. And that's a tremendous encouragement for us. Let's take that into this coming week. The fact that our faith is rooted in history. And that God is in charge. He is sovereign. And no matter what happens, he is in control. He's also a God, a God of order. I want us to look at some verses too. Just look at this because if you look at, uh, first of all, in Psalm 56, verse 8. He's a God who records things, who keeps a note of things. Psalm 56 and... verse 8. Record my misery, list my tears on your scroll, are they not in your record? Every time we weep, every time we're sad, that is recorded by God. He knows what we're going through, he knows what is happening. Let's turn to Malachi chapter 3 verse 16. Verse 16 says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. Every time we talk about the Lord, it's saying here that that is recorded. He's taking a note of that. He's listening to what we're saying and taking a note of it. In Hebrews chapter 6 In verse 10. Verse 10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Every labour of love that we enter into is recorded and remembered by God. When it comes to revelation, we find that there's also a record kept. A record is kept of all the things that we have done, good and bad. A whole record there written in a book. But you know what's happened is that the Lord Jesus said, hold on, that record... For that person there who's put their trust in me, I die for them on the cross. Those things they have done wrong are no longer remembered. They're no longer remembered. So, if we have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, and I believe we have this morning, then that book of remembrance, which is remembering everything in our lives, which will be facing a judgment seat, because of what the Lord Jesus did on the cross, he can say, I will remember their sins no more. I think that's a great verse doesn't say that god forgot our sins god can't forget he has chosen deliberately not to remember our sin that is something to really hold on to he's made that conscious decision and therefore when it comes to that list being read out he can say to his father no those things don't apply we're not going to remember those anymore because i've dealt with them on the cross what a wonderful book that's been written about us all the things that we do all the labours of love all the times we talk to one another about the Lord Jesus every time we cry they're all recorded you remember that programme This Is Your Life Yeah. it's like presenting a book saying this is your life but it's all the things that we've done for the Lord going to be presented in a scroll in a book on our behalf Fourth thing to remember God knows who we are. In this genealogy and all the genealogies, it's a, it's a list of names. A list of names that are some are recognizable, some are pronounceable, some are not. But the important thing is that He knows everybody's name. And when He knows your name, it means He cares about you. He knows who you are, He knows exactly what you're facing at the moment, He knows all your doubts and your fears. He also knows your high times as well. He knows you. He knows your name. And that's a tremendous encouragement for us. You know, there are many people listening to genealogies that the only time they mention in the Bible is in the genealogy. It doesn't say what they've done. And it might be that you think, well, what you're doing is so insignificant. It's not. God is recording it. God knows what you're doing. And God knows your name. And he knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly what will happen this week. We have a tremendous privilege of going into a week knowing that God has gone before us. He knows the end from the beginning. There's nothing that's going to surprise Him. So when we go into this week, we can trust Him and know that if we're with Him, nothing will surprise Him, and if we can, nothing will surprise us. And finally, the fifth point is salvation is for everybody. I mentioned that in Matthew it stops at Abraham. That was a Jewish emphasis, here it goes back to Adam because we're now talking about Jews and Gentiles everyone is included when we look at each other and we look at others who come into this place and we think can God work in their lives, yes he can everybody is included in salvation and we must take away our blinkers, our bias, whatever it might be where we think oh, they would be a good Christian and we're not sure about them That is not how God works. God is sovereign. He chooses who he chooses. And he chooses anyone for salvation. He turns to him. So there's just a few thoughts to take into the week with us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, that God is sovereign. God knows who we are. God knows everything we're saying and all the things we're going through. Hang on to those things and encourage one another during this week. Encourage one another with texts and messages to let us know how we're getting on. Because we all face similar um, things, don't we, in life? We all do. And I think the more we share, we realize that we're not alone. And we're certainly not alone when it comes to who God is. And God is with us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every aspect of your word is relevant to us we confess that sometimes we do skip over passages because we find it difficult to read and understand but we just thank you that maybe the indices